Hey, if this is your first time here uh, with Redemption, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to be continuing the book of Romans today. So if you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 7? Romans chapter 6, verses <coughs> 5 through 7. Um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and then one of the guys will be able to get you a, a copy of, <coughs> excuse me, a copy of God's Word, uh, Romans chapter 6. Sorry, I have a cold that I'm getting over, and I got home 2 o'clock this morning from Dallas from that absolute loss that we suffered to the fighting Irish, right? I think the reason why ASU lost last night is because they put fire, oh, thank you. There will be crowns in heaven for that. <laughs> it's because they put fire on their helmet. It was like purgatory game, like the Catholics. <laughs> Some of you guys will get that at 12 o'clock today. Romans chapter 6, I want you to hold your spot there for a moment um, because we have a bigger announcement. Uh, What we're going to be doing the first Sunday of every single month is called Outward Focus Sundays. And that means that every single redemption congregation that we'll be talking about something that we're doing outside of ourselves. And so that could be in the area of church planning, that could be area of stuff that we're doing overseas, and it could be areas of ministries in which we're partnering with throughout our city. We realize that there's so much stuff that we're doing that we're a part of and that you are part of indirectly. When we say we, not just us as your elders, but as congregations, that it is hard for us to communicate that. And so uh, we want to be able to highlight that the first Sunday of every month. So today, uh, what we have is in regards to church and church growth, is that I am excited to announce that over the past two years, we have been working with another congregation to be able to be adopted into redemption. So this was a congregation that wasn't a redemption congregation that we've been working with since the very genesis of us merging to become redemption, uh, that they want to be a part of it. And we've taken this process for two, two and a half years and praying and thinking through and uh, working with uh, a church here in the valley that's going to be a part of redemption. And so before I announce that, I want to be able to direct your attentions to the screen and you'll be able to see this four-minute video. Redemption Church is a multi-congregational church throughout the state of Arizona. As a collective whole, we exist to start and strengthen healthy local congregations. We have a vision for the future of Arizona and specifically Metropolitan Phoenix that we would see thriving local congregations in a variety of neighborhoods. There are many neighborhoods throughout Metropolitan Phoenix and in the state of Arizona that are oftentimes forgotten. The leadership team has prayed and sought the Lord and believed that God is taking us into those communities. We want to be there so that we can see disciples made who live all of life as though it's all for Jesus. Alhambra Village is one of 15 urban villages that make up Phoenix. Even though it has seven different zip codes, most only think of Alhambra in terms of poverty, crime, and strip clubs. More than a third of the people in this neighborhood live below the poverty line. This community has some of the highest numbers in violent crimes, theft, rape, assault, and prostitution in all of Phoenix. As Grand Canyon University has begun to grow leaps and bounds, Alhambra has been forced to wrestle with this question. How can a working poor, diverse, and violent neighborhood be united with the growing student population? Over 10 years ago, I had a desire to do gospel ministry in an urban inner city context, and I was immediately drawn to Alhambra Village. Its diversity of age and race and economics, I could see that the gospel needed to take root in this neighborhood. One thing I saw immediately is that churches were leaving faster than they were being planted. I even sat down with one pastor and he told me that no church could survive in Alhambra Village. 
Proving that no area is too broken or unreachable, God began to bring people from around the Phoenix area and Life Connection Church was born. God has worked in amazing ways through bivocational elders, leaders, and a small congregation. And by God's grace, we have seen many saved, discipled, and grown into maturity. Years back, we were able to connect with Redemption Church and we immediately saw a common mission thread. Over the years, they have given to us training, leadership, and friendship. And that has been incredible for us. As elders, what that birthed in us was a desire for us to be connected with Redemption Church, both for relationship and for leadership. What has emerged is something that I believe is God-ordained and will benefit Redemption, the city, and specifically Alhambra Village. I am so excited to announce that Redemption Church is adopting Life Connection Church into its family, and together we are going to relaunch as Redemption Alhambra Village. We believe that by relaunching with Redemption, we will be able to reach and serve our community more effectively, and that God will be magnified as our church is unified around Jesus and his mission. We are convinced that we will be better together. Redemption Church, we are thrilled to launch Redemption Alhambra Village in January of 2014. This congregation is going to present us many opportunities and two primary benefits. The benefit of being shaped by a community that is not currently like one of the ones we are already in. We will learn from people, from the questions that they have, from the experiences that they have. As we seek to minister in this community, it will shape Redemption Church as a whole, and it will present us with new opportunities as we have a desire to move into communities that are often, too often, in fact, forgotten. That we will have opportunities for new men to be raised up and learn from the experience and expertise of this given congregation. This is going to enable us, Redemption Church, to live out our calling to be gospel-centered and outward-focused. Yeah. That's definitely something to celebrate. Um, just kind of just uh, color that in a little bit. Is so what you heard is Life Connection Church, which was a church here in the valley uh, that we've been in networks with and partnership with for several years, is now becoming Redemption Church. And it will be Redemption Alhambra Village, which is the neighborhood of which they're at. This is something that um, on a leadership team, which is the leaders that make up all of Redemption, of which myself am a part of, it has been a two-year process of us praying. Uh, we saw that this is something that was spirit-led. There was unity on this because their congregation uh, was the same as us theologically, uh, relationally, as well as philosophically. And then also from that, we, we believe that there will be mutual benefit from LCC becoming redemption um, because of the leadership and the team that we have with elders and whatnot. It would be able to help strengthen them, but also for us as a church. One of our values is to continue to be diverse and to be in places where most people are not going and to raise up indigenous leaders from those communities to be able to plant more churches in communities like that. Currently at our moment, we, are, we do not have um, many congregations that are in lower class communities that, that uh, Redemption Alhambra Village will be at, uh, where it's economically diverse as well as ethnically diverse. And where they're located is 27th Avenue in Indian School. And so uh, close to uh, GCU where the campus is at there. And so the realities there are much different than the realities that we face here in Tempe. And so we hope to continue the leadership development from there that we'd raise up more leaders or plant more churches and communities in our state that are like that. And so 
Um, we're excited about that. Um, I'm personally excited. Aaron's been a good friend of mine. Him and his wife have been a good friend of my wife and I, and we're excited for them to be a part of this. And you could just be praying for them as they are announcing that this morning. Actually, right now, as we speak to their congregation um, at Life Connection, it will be official come January 1. Uh, we'll get opportunity to have Aaron come in here and preach here pretty soon. Um, he's a phenomenal guy and a very, very good friend. So would you guys join me before we get into God's Word? Let's pray for, um, for Life Connection Church and Redemption, Alhambra Village, uh, right now. Father, we thank you um, for the adoption of this new congregation, the relaunching of, of them as redemption, God. It is not about the name of redemption, Lord. It is about the name of Jesus continuing to go places in this state, primarily in this valley. And so, Father, we lift up Aaron, we lift up their elders, their team there, their leaders there, their congregation there, that the gospel would continue to flourish in that community, that we would see more people, Lord, that are not like us economically and even ethnically, Lord, raised up in the gospel to reach more people in discipleship. We pray for their families, we pray for their marriages, we pray for their singles, we pray for the love of Christ to permeate their lives as well as it does here. God, we thank you for the representation of the body of Jesus throughout this city, and not just redemption, but all the churches that are gathering today under your name. God, as we look at your word today, and as we look in Romans, and we understand that we are are learning to understand that we are set free from sin, I pray, Lord, for the releasing of bondage of every single man and every single woman, every single marriage, every single single person and child here, Lord, of sin and its power and its grips. So, Father, meet us here in this moment. Meet us here in these next few moments we have as we look at your word. Encourage us, shape us, and guide us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you have Bibles here, we're Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read it again for us. <clears throat> for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Here's what Paul was saying. He's piggybacking on last week. Just in case you weren't here last week, we have a new life in Christ Jesus. Our union with Christ that we're so wrapped in him that what is true of Jesus is also true of those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's implications of that. And this first implication of this new life that Paul has for us today um, in 5, 6, and 7, primarily in verse 6, is that we are free from sin. And we're, we're free from the bondage of sin. And so that's what we're going to look at today is looking at these three verses and looking at some so what's and how we can live in this freedom of sin. And so to boil it down, um, that our position would be equal to our experience. Uh, in other words, who we are in Jesus Christ would also be the way that we live, that our standing before him, what he's done for us, would also spill into our day-to-day life. One of my favorite persons in um, American history, and I've shared this with you before, is a woman by the name of Harriet Tubman. <clears throat> and many of you have heard about Harriet Tubman. You've read about her in your history books, or maybe you read books about her. Phenomenal African-American woman in our country. And one of the things that she's known for is as a woman herself who was born into slavery, that she was able to find a way to be um, not released, but escape from the captivity of slavery. And also being a woman of God, she understood the value of God being able to free her, not just spiritually, but physically from slavery, that she wanted to design and be a part of something that would allow other slaves to be free. She saw the injustices that slavery placed upon people, not just physically, but even mentally and spiritually and socially and emotionally and psychologically, 
that she began to be a part of a team of people that would develop what was known as the Underground Railroad. A couple years ago, I was, got an opportunity to visit for a class that I was taking, uh, Jim Mullins and I in New York, and there was a church, an old church in New York, that had um, uh, the Underground Railroad through their church all the way through New York. Abraham Lincoln had spoke at this church, Martin Luther King Jr. had spoke at this church, and then so while we were visiting, I got on stage and had someone take a picture of me behind the pulpit so I can say, and Ricardo Stewart spoke at this church. <laughs> They're like, who is a Mexican guy? He's like, no, he's black, but... <laughs> So there, 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 there was this church, and they have, like, this underground railroad. And this is, like, this part of history is, like, my favorite part of our American history. And um, Harriet Tubman was a part of that. And the line that she has that I, that I love and I use often is that she said, I freed thousands of slaves. She goes, in my life, I have freed thousands of slaves. And I would have freed more if only they knew that they were slaves. I mean, if only they knew they were slaves, she goes, I would have freed even more. And in that same vein, Paul is coming in spiritually and saying, you're not a slave anymore. That Christ Jesus has come. Not that you would escape from slavery, but the power of slavery would be broken altogether. That the reign of sin and death that entered in through Adam would be broken. That the union that you once had in Adam and sin, we all die. That now in Christ we live that there's a new life. If you would first acknowledge that you were in bondage, but now believe that you are no longer in bondage. And so you have a new position. You have a new status. You've gone from slave, not to just free, but slave to child, to a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. And once the Spirit testifies with us that we are our sons, and it cries out, Abba, Father, And Paul is getting us to see um, your position in Christ, which is something he's done on your behalf, should be equal in your experience. And that's how you live and look more and more like him. The first thing that Paul says here in verse 5, he says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What Paul is doing is he's alluding to what he was talking about last week, and that is this union with Christ. That there was a union with his death that when Christ died, he died not only for our sin, but we, in and, and, and a spiritual sense, died with him. And we are new. We are free. Paul says this elsewhere in Galatians 2.20. For I've been crucified with Christ, and it is I who no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live in confidence or in faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is this new life. And he says, if we've, we've been buried with him, we have a death like his, we will also have a resurrection like his. Now, what Paul is communicating here is this already but not yet tension. Meaning what's already happened is that the power of the new heavens and the new earth has come to us by the power of the Spirit. Meaning the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in God's people. But if you are a man or a woman or a child that has trusted in Jesus, that you believe that he lived the life that you should have lived, and you die, he died the death that you should have died, and that he was raised from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he sent the Holy Spirit, and you, you profess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, because that power is always already at work with you. And it's a magnificent thing that the power that we have and the strength over sin is not a strength that we find within It's a strength that comes outside of ourselves. And it comes in namely in the work of Christ Jesus that is applied to our life by the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us. And that's already. And so that status is there and that power is there. But the not yet part is the glorified part. 
Meaning when Paul here in verse 5 says that we will have a resurrection like his, he's also talking about future. Meaning the day in which, like Jesus, was raised from the dead and given a glorified body, that we too would get a glorified body. The way St. Augustine said it is, Adam in the garden was given the opportunity to sin, of which he did, leaving every single one of us now with no opportunity but to be in sin. But now what Christ does through the power of the resurrection is that one day we won't even have the ability to sin that we'll have glorified bodies without the ability to sin, but now we stand in the tension or where we have the power of Christ living in us, the resurrected power, and yet we we still have the ability to sin. And so what Paul is doing in verse 5 in talking about this position and experience or this new life being freed from sin is saying, know the power that you have in Christ Jesus. This is a gift of grace. And also look forward to where you're headed. Looking forward, knowing to what Christ has done, and looking forward will give you the benefits and motivation that you need for your daily life. The, the way I think about this is, is growing up in California, it was always, um, they would always give up these free tickets to our schools for Disneyland. My mom would say, hey, we got these tickets for Disneyland. We're going next Thursday. And as a kid, you're like, you said heaven, right? Like, Disneyland is heaven. Like, we're going to be there. Like, you know, and you, you go to services at, at, at church, and they talk about Jesus can come back at any day. And you're like, come back on Friday. Because on Thursday, we're going to Disneyland, right? And like whatever your parents said to do, it's like, didn't I tell you to get done with your homework? I'm already done, Mom. I'm fluent in Spanish too. Like it's whatever. Like, you know, you'll do whatever it takes. You know, Thursday is coming. And the same way when you know what God has in store for you because of what he's already done, that you begin to live into that. You live in the reality that it's already paid for, but the tension of it. Well, Paul begins to explain more of this tension for us in verse 6. And there's two things that he puts forward here. It's the old man and the body of sin. Here's what he says, um, living in the tension of sin. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, if you have a pen or a marker and you do this, I would, I would underline the old self or the old man and then the body of sin. Because here's, Paul's talking about two different things. Now, we can talk about new life. Or we can talk about these glorified bodies. And we can talk about the power that's within us, but then let's just speak as people, right? We sin every day, and we hate it. And so if Paul's saying that a Christian is a one who does not sin, you have to read Romans 7 and realize, no, he's not, he's not doing that. Um, if, if you're like me, you've probably read through scriptures that talk about if a person keeps on sinning that he's not a Christian, and you go, oh my gosh, what? I keep on sinning, am I not a Christian? Um, does a Christian um, never struggle in sin? Okay, all you have to do is read chapter 7. Chapter 7 is written um, by Paul, like the rest of this, this book. And, and, and what Paul is saying in there, he kind of goes back and forth if you're not familiar with Romans. And it's, it's a part where Paul goes, you know, the things that I want to do, I, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I keep doing those things. The things I want to do. And he kind of goes back and forth. And he goes, ah, who will save this wretched man? And he's like, Jesus. And we're like, Whew, because Paul's like a really good Christian. And if Paul's going crazy and he's schizophrenic spiritually, it's like, whew, right? Man, <laughs> you know? But like on a, on a real level, we sin and there's certain things that maybe for months or maybe for years we felt like we had in control, then they, they kind of rear their ugly head again. You, you have that before? Maybe sin's really like kind of, it's in your marriage right now. Maybe you brought it on and maybe your spouse brought it on or both of you. I'm convinced that when you're in a marriage, you both have, have issues in it. Even if you have 1%. You've got to acknowledge that 1%. Now, most of the spouse are saying, okay, I have 
right? It's like, <laughs> it's, you, you have it. As a, as a single person, we have it. Anyone in Christ Jesus, we love when we hear our position is that we were right before God and we were seen as Jesus, but then our experiences, we struggle with ongoing sin. Our position is right. We can't change that. But our experience is not equal to that. How can we live um, in, out of our position, our justification, our being made right with God relationally with sin? So the, a better word is how do I battle this ongoing sin? Well, Paul gives us two things here that God does for us by grace in which we live into. Verse 6, when he talks about the old self or what is called the old man, and then he calls, talks about the body of sin or the body of flesh, depending on what translation you have. Um, first, we'll deal with the old man. He says, you know, the old man was crucified. He's appealing to your, your knowledge. He's appealing to those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, you need to know something. That if you trust in Christ today, the old you is dead. If you trusted in Christ years ago, the old you was, is dead, has, has been dead. No, when you trusted in Christ, that, that old person was crucified. It was done with in Christ. I mean, the old you is no way. This is the talking about your worldview. This is talking about your perspective, your desires, that you had desires for what was in relationship with Adam, but now you have new desires that are in relationship with Christ. Now, there's definitely war going on there, but now you have the freedom to live in Christ Jesus, whereas previously you did not have that freedom. Um, here, here's a way to think about it. You look at your old self and you go, I don't want to be there anymore, but yet that was me. And some of those things show themselves now. You, you ever, um, this is like the worst, is when you look at year, a yearbook, um, you ever look at your old yearbooks and you're like, maybe people didn't know you and you're looking at yourself and what you wore, like in high school or pictures in college, like, oh, I forgot that was in, right? And it's kind of embarrassing. Like I always find myself pulling out pictures and I'm like, how am I going to explain this to my children, right? Like, you know, this, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, oh, now 2001, 12 years ago, like back then when I was like in college, it was like really cool for the, the crew that I kicked it with to wear like 3X white tees, right? And I pulled these pictures out and I'm like showing my son and I'm like waiting on one of them to go, dad, why are you wearing a nightgown, right? <laughs> and I just want to be like, dude, that, that, that's because that's what 50 said, you know? It's like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what he did, right? And it's like everybody was doing it. To me, that was like the way to live and what to wear. And now I look at that and it's embarrassing, right? Like I don't want to go back, right? I don't want to try those clothes on, right? That's, that's how the old man is. Like you can look at yourself. You can look at your thoughts. You can look at your worldview and go, wow, that's significantly changed. And yet somehow the power of that is still here. Because I know that that was me, and it's hard for me to get that off of me, even though I have this new man. So what Paul was saying is there's a power that broke in, and it broke the union that you had with Adam and united you with Christ. And the power that broke in was greater than that power of, of the old man of sin. And it's broken. It's broken. And so now you're in Jesus never to be changed again, and so your position is set. You don't earn it by your experience. In fact, it shapes your experience which is hard for us to understand sometimes because in every other uh, platform or every arena or context in this world, we have experiences that we present in order to earn a position. 
Even if we think about it in, in the marketplace, we have certain experiences that we have that get us a position. And the way that we can secure that position is by having more experiences and showing whoever it is our employers are to say, here's my experience. This is why I'm qualified for this position. But what Paul is saying is the paradox of the gospel is that in Christ Jesus, God qualifies you. He gives you the position. And then that position begins to shape your experiences. And therefore, you live from this position, which could never change, where the, in work you have the fear of of losing this position if you don't keep up with your experiences. However, in the gospel, you never have to have the fear of losing that position, but the joy of living in the true experiences that flow from your freedom with Christ. Amen? That's the promise that Paul is saying. You have a position now. Let's live into it. The old man has been crucified. And then the question still says, but what about my ongoing sin? We still haven't dealt with that because even though I'm this new man, I still have a sin nature. Even though I'm in Christ, Adam still speaks to me. Like even though I know that I'm saved, even though that I'm washed, even though that I'm cleansed of my sin, I still battle with these sins and my thoughts and my actions. And here's what Paul says here in continuing in verse 6. He says that we know that the old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, in order that the body of sin or the body of flesh might be brought to nothing so that you would no longer be enslaved to sin. When Paul says the body of sin might be brought to nothing, he's not saying that he doesn't care about humanity and that everything that you do in the flesh is worldly and only spiritual things matter. There's no dualism in the Bible. That's something that we've read into it. He's talking about how you live, meaning your body and your, yourself, your body, your physical body is not inherently sinful. I mean, the things that you do are not inherently sinful. It's, 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 it's the motivation and how you do. So, for instance, like things that, that, um, that maybe growing up you would have said, you would have said, these things are wrong, whether it's like playing cards or drinking or dancing. Those things are not inherently sinful. Dancing might be embarrassing for some of us, but it's, it's not inherently sinful, right? The, the, the body in itself, what Paul is talking about, the body is just an instrument. The language that he uses there for body is the word soma, which is usually a language that was used in Greek, meaning it's, it's an instrument for something else. So it's whoever it is that is guiding that. So before, when you're in Adam, sin guided your body to do sinful things and live in sin. Now that you're in Christ, the spirit of God from above that you already have begins to use your body now as instruments of righteousness, as Paul would say later in this chapter. And so a picture of this would be, and I'm not going to do this because it would be embarrassing, but if I got on these drums and I start playing these drums, I would make noise because I have no rhythm at all when it comes to drums, which is kind of embarrassing, but I don't, I don't have any rhythm. But when Manny, who's playing drums today, he gets behind there, he makes music. When I play and I make noise, it has nothing to do with the cymbals or the snare or the kink drum. It has everything to do with me. It has everything to do with me. So what Paul is saying is, since the old man has been crucified, you now have been given the spirit to have ability to make music, to use your body to make music that glorifies him. The way Paul says it in Ephesians is that you've been saved by grace, and in Christ now you are his workmanship, which literally means poem. That word workmanship, it means you are his poem to God, meaning works that he's prepared beforehand for you to live into, meaning grace has done something to your position that your experience in him is changing, that you have the present and power of the spirit. And Paul says here in this latter part of verse 6 is that you may no longer be enslaved to sin, that sin no longer enslaves you. And I think the reason why Paul keeps reiterating this because he said, why does he keep bringing up enslaved to sin? Well, think about your own life. How many times are you thinking that you are enslaved to sin? 
And next week, he's going to come back and say, sin doesn't have dominion over you again. Like, why does he keep bringing this up? Why does he keep saying that? It's because sin keeps bringing it up. That you keep getting reminded that somehow that you are enslaved to it. That somehow you were back over here in bondage. And usually what happens is because you, you, you fall, you fall in, a, in a sin. And there's different categories of people that do it in different ways. There is the, the, the person who doesn't do anything wrong and who is naturally a sweetheart by just, just by nature. And then they say, I will never sin in these ways. That person, when you sin, they're devastated. Devastated. And then there's some people that, that we just find ourselves, you, you just, you're just always living over here. You're Christian. You love Jesus. But you just love being in sin. And then maybe every once in a while you hear a message on grace and you'll feel good about it. But then you just live over here. You live here as if this is like your neighborhood now when God has given you a new address. But yet you find yourself going here. The, the way I relate our relationship with Adam is most of us have been a part of or we've seen people that are in very bad relationships. And we go, you got to get away from that person. And Paul says, you know that it's bad for you, right? Verse 6 says, you know that the old man has been crucified with him in Christ. But what happens is, even though that relationship is broken up and you know you shouldn't be with that person, what happens is you hear a song, you drive down a street, you smell a scent, and it begins to remind you of that. And maybe there's a weak moment that you want to go back to that relationship, even though it's toxic and it's poison and it sucks life from you. Paul is saying, may that never be. You don't have to. One of the most freeing things for me when I became a Christian is before I was a Christian, I found myself lying a lot. Like, I would lie to different people because I had all these different stories. And, like, not like a pathological lie. Well, I guess I'm lying now. I would just lie about stupid things, right? Like, to girls or whatever, the stupidest things. And then when I became a Christian, the most freeing thing was, was telling the truth. Like, go figure, right? And it was like not having to tell people, like, I wonder what I told them. I told them the truth. <laughs> That was awesome, right? Like, the truth just set me free. I mean, it was like, there we go, because I didn't have to sin. And Adam, you have to. And Christ, you're freed not to. And so the Christian life is not trying to avoid sin, but it's living in freedom. But the reason why you avoid sin is because sin gets in the way of your freedom. And every single one of us knows what it's like. Every single one of us knows what it's like to be running the, way, the race of grace, looking to the face of Jesus, beholding his glory, and to have sin cut us up, trip us up, to stumble us. And then we, we have moments, weak moments, where we continue to go back to whatever those things are. And we find ourselves living as if we are slaves again. And Paul is saying, you're not a slave. You are not an Adam you are free. What about my sin? You are not an Adam. Trust in Jesus. Trust in his work. One of the reasons why we do that is we don't trust in Jesus. We sing songs about him, but we don't run to him. There, there, there's um, going back to the, just the slave analogy. So 100 years ago or so when, when the, slave, the, the Civil War was over, what it did was it declared, it abolished slavery. And it made every single slave in our country free, just like that. There was a new order, there was a new power, they were free. The problem is when you read history books, and you read books, probably not in our school history, but when you read books, what you see is that many of these slaves, especially the older slaves, they didn't know what to do with it. They had spent so much of their time in servitude towards these masters that whenever they would find themselves, and even in the proximity of these masters, that they would shrink up, and they would find themselves going back to the same slavery that they were freed of. And you read this over and over again. 
Because there is a truth that you can be, have a position and be freed legally, but experientially still be in bondage. And many of us are there. Pa- Paul says, the old man is dead, giving you the power now, that resurrection power by grace to have a new position and to live in that position that you might not use your body that you might not use your thoughts, that you might not use your hands, that you might not use your words, that you might not use your eyes, that you might not use your laptops and computers and phones and everything else that we use from our own hearts for sinful things, that we would be free. Many of us are living joyless lives because we're not walking in step with this truth. It is not because Jesus has not done enough for us. It is not because Jesus has left us without power. It is as his people, the church, find ourselves walking with Adam, walking in sin far more than we find ourselves walking in the truth of Jesus. And every single one of us find ourselves there, and we're becoming spiritually anemic. The good news is Jesus is never going to let us die. He's given us life, and he's always going to pump us life. He's always going to give us his spirit. The question will be, as his people, will we walk in that spirit, this truth that he's opened up for us? Read read with me verse 7, and we'll talk some practical things here. Here's what he says, the so what when you walk in this truth. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So there's the truth. That's the position we have. We have been set free from sin in Christ Jesus. What about the experience? I I just want to give us three things, really simple things, um, that we need to do in order for us to continue to walk in this position. God has already given us a position which we cannot lose. Now, we trust in that position, and there's things that we do that we walk in that. It's going to reiterate some of the same things we talked about last week. Um, Three things, God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. Listen, God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. Some of you feel like sin is weighing you down. And it's very interesting to me, but the, the many meetings when I sit down with people and ask a simple question of how much time or how often or how is your time just reading God's word? And it's like, ah, I really don't. And that's not a guilt trip. That's just going, do you not see there's a correlation? Or when I say, how often do you find yourself encouraging people and confessing to people within community? Ah, I really don't. Don't you think that's somewhat of a correlation? And when it comes to the Spirit, how often are you praying in the Spirit, asking the Spirit of God to help you in the most simple things? The most simple things. Ah, I don't find myself doing any of these things. Well, it just may be that you're listening to the lies of Satan the lies of Adam and the lies of your flesh more than the truth of Scripture. One of the things that has been deeply helpful for me in my entire walk with Jesus is the first guy that discipled me, Eli Winnett, great guy, told me this. When it comes to your spiritual walk, God has freed you, but you will be tempted. You have a flesh and a body of flesh that will be tempted. And when temptations come, whatever dog you feed the most will bark the loudest. Whatever dog you feed the most will bark the loudest. If you feed the flesh dog, it will bark the loudest. And the thing about the flesh dog is you don't really have to feed it. You don't have to be intentional. All you do is be a human walking in this world, and you're going to naturally catch it. You know what it's like? It's like these stinking cats around here in Tempe, right? (laughs) 
other people feed it. You're trying not to feed it. Like, get these thinking cats out of here. And every time I see my neighbor go out, I'm like, stop doing that, right? Get them up the street. <laughs> like, it's like, it just feed it. And they're gonna, it's going to keep coming back and come back stronger. And like, you know when cats get real bold, like, you run at them and they just look at you. They don't even move. It's like, because they know I'm just as scared of them as they are as me. It's like, dang it, they're not going to move anymore. It's right? It's comfortable. Sorry. Uh, but when you, feed, when you feed it, it's going to come back louder and those moments of temptations. And you know it, too. Because right now, you're in, you're in a church service and you're hearing a word and you can think about your sin. You can think about it. I don't, I don't have to say it. I don't know what it is. You can think about it. You know what it is. And some of you are in it, meaning you can't get out of it. No one knows. It's a secret to just you and nobody else, which is very dangerous. Um, but you're not doing whatever you can to get out of it. And so when temptation, it's easy to go, I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, then the context is right right now. What happens when it's late at night? What happens when you've had a little bit too much to drink? Um, what happens when you guys are in the same position again that you said you would never be in before? What, what happens when your wife says that thing to you that sets you off? What happens when your husband doesn't come on? What happens when you are in those situations that you're triggered and all of a sudden, okay, what's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks? acts and does. And if what you constantly have is things of this world and the flesh, it's going to win. Meanwhile, if you're feeding the spirit and you're starving the flesh, if you're trusting in God's word, and listen, when I say his word, it, I literally mean reading it. I know that's really simple and it's like, but didn't you say that last week? I told our staff, I'm going to say this every single week that I'm preaching until our people start reading their Bibles. And not just so that they would read. That's just the means but if you don't understand the truth of God, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my words. Okay, you won't know his words to love him if you don't read it. And hear me, every time you read, and I've said this before, when you, whether it's five minutes, whether it's ten minutes, read daily. And, and, and it's not like every single time you read that the angel of Gabriel is going to come down and say, hey, good morning, here's your coffee, right? That only happens sometimes, right? Not, not every time. It's a, but it is constantly being formed by his word. Spiritually, that's how we eat. And it's understanding God's word. Um, and, and you're feeding it. And then when it comes to God's people, it is having people in your life in whom you confess to and who you encourage, who confess to you and also encourage you. Right? There's some people who have groups where they have like these sessions where they just confess their sin to people, but no one encourages, no one walks alongside them, and they're just like, I told you everything, but you're never going to do anything. You're not going to hold me accountable. That's weak. And you have some sides who are like all good friends, and they tell you how good you are, but you never know anybody's weakness. That's weak as well. You got to have both, where there's encouragement and there's confession. And confession is not always just confession of sin. Confession is saying, like, here's where I am. Like, this is just where my heart's at. So there's a group of guys who I meet with, some of which on this elder team, where I would just say, here is a weakness of mine. And it's not, sometimes it's not even sin. Sometimes it's just a fear. Like, hey, you know what? I fear that somehow I'm going to lose my kids in a car accident or something like that. I, I just confess it because I know I can't live this life without you guys, and you guys can't live this life without each other. And that's one of the means in which we re- experience God's grace to us. You've probably had a moment before where you have confessed sin to somebody, and just to have them lay hands on you and pray for you was just, just that in itself. You, God dispensed his grace through that. But most of us, we hide in secret. Our marriages, we hide in secret. Well, my wife knows. My, no, no, no. Get help. Get help. That's just Christians are people who are constantly saying, I'm needy and I need Jesus. Not people who have it together. No, that's not it. And then God's spirit. And God's spirit is listening to God's word looking at every single thing that he says to do in there and doing it 
not to get him, but to remain connected to the vine of who is Jesus. God's spirit is trusting and saying, God, I'm doing the most simple, mundane thing, but I need you in this. I'm sick of being cold. I'm sick of being dry. And I'm sick of living a joyless life is because I have not been asking you to enter in. Convict me, lead me, and guide me. And the more we feed that dog, the louder it is. And so when temptations come, which they will, they will happen today, that we can say, Lord, your way, not my way. Your will, not my will. And Jesus, or the word of God, lets us know that the more we draw near to him, the more he'll draw near to us. Amen? Jesus has already given us the position that we are free. The truth has already been declared. The way that we live in this truth is by walking accordingly to the word of God, walking accordingly with the people of God, walking underneath and being filled with the spirit of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we want and desire to live free, but we know that it's not without cost. It cost your son, his life, and which he's given to us. Lord, it also costs for us, Lord, to continue be giving our lives to you, our families, our children, our singleness, our purity, our minds, our hearts, and whatever things get, whatever gets in the way, Lord, of our joy in you, whatever sin issue, whatever doubts, whatever fears, that we can give it to you, confess it to our brothers and sisters, and trust that you meet us there. God, I pray that you would continue to cultivate us to being a people, Lord, who desire to meet you in your word and trust that you meet us there. Meet you in prayer with you and with others, Lord, and meet you by your spirit continually to fill us and to guide us, Lord. We don't know what we don't know, God, and we ask that you reveal it in the person of Jesus. God, we pray that you would humble us, that you would use us, and that the truth of these words, that we are free in Jesus, Lord, the position that you've given us would be equal with our experience and we'd walk as free people. We know that we will never be sinless, but we trust that we have a Savior who is impeccable, who is spotless without blemish. And the more that we not just avoid sin, but trust in you and walk in you, the more that experience of living free, Lord, will be filtered into our hearts and our lives. We thank you for the good news in Christ Jesus and ask that it would continue to be revealed through our actions and through our words to the community and city around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you guys a moment just to think about and meditate on um, the freedom that you have in Christ. And then simultaneously, the things that are getting in the way of that freedom, the relationships, the time, the distractions, what are the things getting in the way of that freedom that you can repent and ask God to remove that you may walk in his grace and his love. And in just a moment, uh, one of the guys will come and lead us in a time of response.